the God of lost causes. So I'll be focusing there, Mark chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 21 all the way down through 43. I'm a little optimistic today to cover that many verses, but I'll do my best uh, to do that. It's hard for me to cover that many, but I'll try. Hey, and don't forget tonight's 5.30, Mark Baker's going to be speaking in G, uh, 2.14, 2.16, 2.16, and he's going to be talking about politics without being political. He has served as the mayor of Tobaccoville. He is on the councilman there. He has served at the council at Forsyth County. He has an incredible resume. He's very involved in politics. He's worked in Raleigh uh, with the state treasurer, Dale Falwell. He's had all kinds of opportunities, and he's our high school principal. And so he loves what he's doing on the side and also does a great job here at our school. And so he'll be speaking tonight at 530 in G216. I want to encourage you to be there. Don't, and remember to vote Tuesday, too. Get out and vote. You haven't voted already. A lot of you early voters, but I'm going to wait till Tuesday. Make sure the line's not long and go. They got those little things now. Tell you the amount of time you got to wait, and so I'm I'm going to move right with that thing. And then don't forget our love life, um, our love life walk. Uh, it's not our sponsored walk, but it's the last walk of the year, and we always try to promote this. If you can come, uh, the last walk of the year where we walk around the abortion clinic and pray and worship and have a wonderful time doing that. There's a lot of opposition there going on at the same time with other groups and organizations that are for abortion. And so we want to go, and we don't want to put signs in people's faces. We don't want to cause a stink. We just want to go and pray and worship and walk around that clinic and ask God uh, to work and to shut it down. Uh, that lady who owns that clinic, she has several clinics across the east coast of uh, our country and we're praying they'll be shut down. We're praying for the doctors to get saved. We're praying for the people that come in, the sidewalk counselors that work with them, uh, to talk to them about their decision for an abortion. And so we're trying to come from every angle and trying to do everything we can um, from a representation of the Word of God and seeing life uh, honored. And so I appreciate some of you wearing the Love Life uh, T-shirts today. I just want you to know it didn't go with my outfit, so I didn't put it on. But, but don't be fooled. Don't be fooled one little bit. I may be a preacher by day, but I'm love life man at night. Love life man is here to save the day. <laughs> Leaping tall abortion clinics in a single bound. No, no. Okay, but anyways, uh, that is exciting, and we're very excited. I love to get involved in this kind of stuff. Next week, we got Foster and Adoption Sunday. We've got a lot of cool things that just are ways to honor the Word of God. That's why we're doing it. That's why we're doing it, and so... Uh, I want you to be a part of that. Come, it's 9 o'clock. You can come at 8.30, but it doesn't really get started until 9, so wait till 9. I'll just save you if it's a cold morning, because it was last year. Okay, Mark chapter 5. Stand with me now. Verses 21 to 43. Here we go. Ready? Follow along. When Jesus had crossed over again in a boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. You say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. 
They began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately, they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. You may be seated. It, it, it is amazing to me that every so often, every so often, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter what you drive, it doesn't matter how much faith you have, trouble comes. It comes to your house. <laughs> it meets you at the door. It walks in your living room uninvited. And it challenges you. It challenges you in ways that you have to deal with, that you can't always control. You can't always expect for it to go the way you want. You can't correct it sometimes. It's just there. And you have to learn to endure pain. You have to learn to endure pain. I was talking to a member the other day who had a serious surgery. I won't go into that, but I said, I called him a couple days after the surgery. I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm not doing well. He said, the pain I'm having after the surgery is far worse than the pain that I had before the surgery. And as I was listening to describe that and talk about it, it hit me. Recovery has pain. Recovery has pain. Yes, injury has pain, but recovery has pain too. And we have to go through recovery pain sometimes in our life to get where God is trying to take us. And if you want to be healed, you have to endure pain. You have to learn how to endure it on both sides of the equation. You've got to keep moving. Life doesn't stop to accommodate your comfort. Somehow, one way or another, you have to rise above your pain. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep do enduring. You've got to keep praying. You've got to keep suffering. And you've got to keep exercising your faith. That's easy for me to say up here, I know that. But remember this, as I got to thinking about this fellow on the phone, the pain may be just as intense or worse after the surgery. I want you to get this. If you forget everything else, I need you to remember one thing today, okay? The, 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 the pain after the surgery may be just as intense or worse, but the pain after the surgery has purpose. That's the difference. The pain after the surgery has perfect. It has a different ending. It has a different ending. And it is the ending that matters. It's the ending that matters. Jeremiah 29, 11, you all know it. I know the plans I have for you, this saith the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil to see that you prosper and to bring you to an expected end. It's a different ending. God is taking us to a different ending. The ending is what matters. Now, you know, you know the problem with that verse? He doesn't anything, say anything about the middle. He just talks about the ending. And so my thought today is to talk about your journey of faith during the middle. From the promise to the ending, I want to talk about the middle today. Because you're right in the middle between the two promises. And so as I talk about that today, I am using the story of Jairus as we continue our series here and his faith journey. He turns to Jesus for help. He needs Jesus' power. And so I just want to say something as I, as I get into this, maybe you're here today and you're looking for God to do something in your life. And the truth of the matter is, is there a way you need Jesus 
power to show up in your life. Now, I'd just like you to think about that right now. Is there a way right now in your life that you need Jesus' power to show up? Okay, hold on to that as we get into this message, all right? Maybe your thought is he's really not going to show up because that's what Jairus' thought. What's Jesus really going to do? It's, it's too late. And he was really agonizing, but he sought out Jesus because he had a level of faith in Jesus that he didn't have in anything else. And that's what we need is that level of faith that he can help. Okay, so I outlined the message around this. Whenever you get serious about your faith in Christ, there are three assaults on your faith that seek to destroy your complete trust in the ability of Jesus to handle anything. <laughs> now, I made that a long kind of proposition statement, and the reason I made it long is because what I did is I put the definition of faith right there in it. It could have just been, there are three assaults of faith. But I said three assaults of faith, and then I want you to circle the word faith in that outline, and then I want you to underline the definition. Complete trust in the ability of Jesus to handle anything. Okay, right there. That's where I want to go today. That's faith. Complete trust in the ability of Jesus to handle anything in your life. Okay, there's my outline. Let's go. Let's jump in, all right? The first one. The first one's the hardest one. And, and I'm going to spend some time on the first one because it's built that way in the text. But it is the assault of delay. If there's one thing that goes after your faith, it is delay. Whenever you get delays in your life, it affects you and it affects your thinking and it affects how it works in your heart. But it's, it's one of the hardest. I promise you that. Everyone who's had some life behind them knows that. Now, here in this passage, Jesus returns from the other side. The multitudes gather again when he returns back to his area in Capernaum. And when he gets back to that area, there's a crowd waiting, so he decides to preach to them. He stays out in his little boat just off the shoreline so they can't mob him and press him in, and he begins to preach to them. Now, up until this point, he has faced a couple things that are lost causes. He's faced a megastorm, and he got delayed in that storm. Okay, that's important to note. He faced a mega demon, a mega demon, and there was a delay coming out of that man. There's the second delay. And now he's going to face another mega disease and mega death. Those are pretty big things to deal with mega death and mega disease. And so he's going to deal with each of these lost causes one by one. The ruler of the synagogue comes up to him. Now, this ruler of the synagogue, he's not a rabbi. He just runs and organizes the synagogue. That's his job. He's the manager of the synagogue. And so this ruler of the synagogue comes out to him and falls on his knees before him, and he's frantic. Let's, let's say this. He's a frantic father. Have you ever been a frantic father? Just let something happen to your kid. He says, come and lay hands on my daughter who's at the point of death. Now, that's an interesting word there because that's, that's in the English, but in the Greek, the word is eschaton. Eschatology is the word we get from it. The things of the latter days, the end days, we call eschatology, the study of last things. That's the word here. And so this, Mark is using it here to say that this guy is saying, my daughter is at the end of her life. She's on her last breaths. She's at death's door. Could you come now? Could you come now? Because she's not going to make it much longer. I just need you to touch her. And I know she'll live if you do. Now, there's no doubt Jairus heard word that from Jerusalem, you're to stay away from Jesus. He's a ruler of synagogue. And he's already been accused of being filled with demons. And so the word would get out to all these rabbis and all these rulers of the synagogue. Don't have anything to do with Jesus. Don't even let him teach at your synagogue. Because he's demon-possessed. But you know, there's something. When you get desperate, you don't care about politics. You don't care about inflation. But when it's your daughter... my daughter. You'll step out there sometime and do some things you didn't think you'd do. So he thinks to himself, I got to get to Jesus. I got to get to Jesus. 
And Jesus says, okay, let's go. Let's make the journey to your house. And the clock starts ticking against this girl's life. She's at the point of death, and the clock is ticking. Now, before I go any further, I want you to know this is a sandwich style of narration. I call it sandwich narration. What that means is when Mark loves to do this, he does it all the time. He tells a story, then he comes in, he interrupts it with another story, and then he comes back to the same story, okay? So he's got a story within a story. We call this sandwich because the outer piece of bread is Jairus' faith to see Jesus touch his child. The inner story is the woman with the inner issue of blood. That's just a word which means she's hemorrhaging. She's hemorrhaging and losing blood, and she can't stop. Okay, that story is the ham and cheese of the story. Okay, you got the bread with Jairus, you got the ham and cheese with the woman who's hemorrhaging, and then on the bottom you got the other piece of bread, which is the reward of Jairus' faith. But inside of that you got this story of people really pushed to their limits at every level. And so that's kind of the, the narration around it, the story within the story, all right? So they start walking along to go to his house, and the crowd is pressing him in. And I'm think, I know he's thinking this, man, we'll never get here at this pace. We'll never get to my daughter, uh, to the house at this pace. Man, they're just crushing him and pushing on him and trying to get at him in every way. They just keep walking. And about this time then, just look at it, verse 25. It's worth looking at. A woman. Here's, here's the delay. Who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, had endured much at the hands of many physicians, had spent all that she had, was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. Okay, that's, let me make sure. Okay, that's one sentence. If you did that in English class, your teacher would send you back and say, you'd never have that many dependent clauses on your main verb. Okay, so what's the main verb of those, of those verses right there in 25 and 26? That's a long sentence, all right? The main verb is touch. But then before the word touch is seven participles. You know what a participle is? No, you don't. You didn't even do good in English because I did lousy in English so I got to college and realized if I don't learn English, I'm not going to make it in life, okay? <laughs> so I had to learn English, all right? So seven participles, all dependent on the word or describing the word touch. It's telling you why she touched Jesus from behind. Why she touched Jesus from She's hemorrhaging for blood. She's losing her blood for 12 long years. At first she had options. She had the support of her family. She had money. That's what you need. You need some money. But she had spent the money on the doctors, and they took it all away and made her worse. Don't you hate to go to the doctor and he makes you worse? And that's what happened to this woman. She is worse for what condition she is in. And so here she is, ailing from all of these issues, and she thinks to herself, There's going, Jesus is going by. If I could just touch him. That's the key word for Mark 5, just to touch him. Just to touch him. Now, to lose... To lose blood makes you like a leper. You become unclean in their society. And when you become unclean like a leper and you're hemorrhaging, you've got to leave your family. You can't touch your kids. You can't touch your husband. You've got to pull back from society and you're unclean until you get that hemorrhaging to stop. And so she's been like this for 12 years. 12 years. Now, hear it, okay? Long problems have a way of draining you. Long problems have a way of draining you. And she's being drained in her life, draining her of faith, draining her of hope. This is what it does to you. This is what it does to you when you deal with something for a long time. And she's down to her last hope. She's down to her last hope. She thinks Jesus is my last hope. What Jesus wants her to understand is we all need to get there sometimes. We need to get down to our last hope. Because faith starts when you run out of options. 
Faith starts when you run out of options. Lord, I have no one else. There's no one to turn to. I can't write a check. I can't call anyone. All I got is you. All I got is you. That's what I want. That's what I want. Faith is born when man's ability fails. Let's say W. Tozer. I love that. Faith is born when man's ability fails. See, what God's going to do to you sometimes, and this is so hard because you get in these assaults of delay, and what God's going to do is he's going to bring you to rock bottom. And he's going to get you to rock bottom. And you're going to be like, where are you at, God? What are you doing? And, and there she is at rock bottom. And I just want to tell you something. When you get there, you're just right for God. You are just right for God. And a voice in her head says, either you lay here and die, or you get up and move. See, this is what people do sometimes. They, they just get so down about their situation. They're so drained over their situation. They just want to lay there and die. Talking to a guy this week, lost his wife. Pastor Rob, I want to die, and I want to die today. I don't want to go on. I don't want to live. I want to die. You either lay there and die, or you get up and move. But you're the one who has to decide. Now, I didn't say it like that to him, but I just want you to know that's part of what it gets down to sometimes. You know, sometimes when you get depressed, you get so down, you're so drained, and life is just kind of beating you up, and you're dealing with something for a long time. The best advice I ever got, this isn't the best advice, this is good advice, okay? Get up and brush your teeth. It's helpful to the rest of the people around you, but it's good for you. You just take and do the steps that you know to do. Even though you want to lay there and die, you get up and you move. The Bible says in verse 27 that Jesus turned his back. His back was turned to her, okay? She came up in the crowd behind him. I love this. The back was turned to her. Okay, so let me just say this before I get going, because I want you to think about your life, okay? Have you ever felt like Jesus' back was turned away from you? He's not looking at you. He's not speaking to you. No word from God. I know what you're thinking. Lord, when is it my turn? You blessed him. You blessed her. What about me? What about me? And instead of waiting for Jesus to initiate, she goes after him. She goes after him and she does something radical. You say, what's so radical? The unclean touches the holy. That's radical because that's a violation of their law. The unclean touching the holy. Even if you touched a garment, it was illegal in that day. And she does something radical and she touches the forbidden. Typically in the Old Testament, when the unclean touched the holy, the holy became unclean. But in this case, the holy stays holy and makes the unclean holy. Now figure that one out, because the only way I know you can do that is if you're Jesus, all right? And so that's, that's really the idea after she's doing something radically. She reaches out, she touches him, and the hemorrhage stops, and she's made whole. She's made whole. I wish I had more time to deal with this. I have a whole sermon separate on her in another, back in the archives, all right? But I'm not, I just want you to see the, the scent. We're still in the ham and cheese here, okay? You got to get the ham and cheese. All right, she... Jesus says in verse 30, who touched me? He knew who touched her. And the disciples, you just kind of see their lack of faith here. Say, what are you talking about, Jesus? Man, there's people thronging you everywhere. Who touched you? How do we know who touched you? And Jairus is sitting there, and this is all about Jairus. Jairus is sitting there thinking, we're on the clock. My daughter's dying. 
Why do you have to interrogate this woman? We don't got time for this. And Jesus is thinking, I am purposely delaying in your life. You're not thinking that, but Jesus is. The assault of delay. Who touched me? And the Bible says, the woman fearing in verse 33, fearing and trembling. Why fearing and trembling? It's simple, okay? Remember, the presence of the holy. And when someone comes into the presence of the holy and they're aware of it, which she was after she was healed, she feared and trembled. It is the holy with the unholy. And she is aware of that and she is terrified because the unclean has touched the holy. It always brings fear. She falls before him, and the Bible says she tells him all the truth. I love that. I love that. There it is, verse 33 at the end. She came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, I just wonder what we would have done in that situation. There's a part of me that I would have done something like this. Yeah, I touched you. And I'm moving. I touched you. I did it. She didn't do that. She didn't do that. She said, I did it, and she told him the whole truth. The whole truth. This is, this is beautiful, beautiful to think about. You say, why does that matter? Because that's what Jesus wanted. He didn't want somebody to just give him a half truth. He didn't want somebody to say, you know, I touched you. Yeah, it was me. Thanks. No, no. He wanted the whole truth. He didn't want a half-truth. Jesus never wants a half-truth from your life. As a matter of fact, the last thing he wants to hear from you is, I'm not a bad person. That's the last thing he wants to hear from you. Because that's a half-truth. He wants the truth, and a coin of phrase, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he won't work in your life until he gets the whole truth. What did you do? Not, I touched you. I'll give you the whole truth. I'm unclean. I did it. I was wrong. I shouldn't have touched you. She gave him the whole truth. Jesus, that's what I want. I just want an honest person to stop telling me they're not a bad person. And I want them to see there is no good in them. Nothing. You gotta be kidding me. Yes, I want them to see that, like Isaiah said, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. I want them to see the whole thing. You mean all our righteousness is as filthy rags? That's right. Our righteousness is filthy rags. The best, the best we can do is a stench in the nostrils of God. That's heavy. It's heavy stuff. But that's where he starts with you. He will not do something in your life until he gets the whole truth. He won't save you until he gets the whole truth. He's got to get the whole truth out of you. You're a sinner. You're unclean. Yes, in my flesh dwells no good thing. And God, I just come to you in my mercy. I just plead for your mercy and your grace for what you did for me on the cross. Yes, unholy, unclean. Here's the whole truth. Man, I'm a manipulator. I lie. I've cheated. I've had bad thoughts. I've done things I wish I didn't do. It's the whole truth. Jesus says, I'll work with that. I'll work with that. She says, I broke the law. I'm an outcast. I touched you, Jesus. I'm totally unclean. I made you unclean. I did that to you. I hope you'll forgive me. I was wrong. That's beautiful. There's two things to say about that. Number one, Jesus wants a full confession of your uncleanness. Jesus always wants a full confession of your uncleanness. He can never raise you from death to life. He can never heal you spiritually unless you come that way. In my hands, nothing I bring, only to your grace I cling. 
That's how you have to come to him. You have to come to him like that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to think about. Okay, so he wants a full confession. Number two. Jesus can heal the woman and heal her of her sin disease at the same time. Jesus can heal the woman and heal her of her sin disease at the same time. First thing he says, daughter. (laughs) That is the only time that's said in the book of Mark, by the way. It's the only person Jesus calls daughter. You're my daughter. Now hang on to that, okay? You're my daughter. Go in shalom, go in peace, be healed or be saved of your affliction. Okay? Here's a woman who had no peace for 12 years. Go, my daughter. You're my daughter now. I've not just healed you physically. I've healed you spiritually because you told me the whole truth. You gave me the whole thing. You don't have to go in fear and misery anymore, but go in shalom. You are healed permanently. Not just of your disease. You're going to have to die again one day, but spiritually you're never going to die. You're my daughter. You're my daughter. It's it's, it's, it's a beautiful thought. And so there she goes. All right, verse 35, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Okay, now here's the other sandwich. Okay, you got the bread. Now you had the ham and cheese there with the woman. Now you got the other piece of bread to bring the story together because this is really about Jairus. All right, and so, hey, they say, I hate to tell you, Jairus, your, your daughter has passed. It's, it's too late. It's too late. Don't trouble the master. Don't trouble the teacher. Don't trouble the rabbi. You see the playoff on the word there that's used throughout the book of Mark? He's a master, he's a teacher, he's a rabbi. He's not God, but but he's a teacher, a master, and a rabbi. But he's not really God. So don't trouble the teacher, because this is all the teacher can do. (laughs) She's dead. Don't trouble the rabbi, don't trouble the master, because she's dead. She says, I'm not a master, a teacher, a rabbi. He looks at the man, and he says to Jairus, I heard what they said. Only believe. Do you ever say to yourself, why trouble God anymore? Everything I feared happened. Why should I bother praying? My husband died. My child died. Or I'm dying. Why bother him now? Have you ever got yourself to a place where you've been drained so long that you said, why pray? Why trouble God anymore? I want to say this to you. There is no time you stop troubling the Lord. There is no time in your life you stop troubling the Lord because there's no trouble for him to hear your cry and wipe away your tears. There is no time. There is no time to stop troubling the Lord because there is no trouble, is no trouble for him to hear your cry and wipe away your tears. From an earthly perspective, it's too late. It's too late. She's gone. The girl's dead. It's a hopeless cause. Jesus overhears her. Jesus, or Jesus overhears the conversation that she's dead. You know, that's, that's a cool thought. You know, he's always listening to other people's conversation. That's the thing about Jesus. I want to do a sermon on this one day when I'm done with the book of Mark about Jesus' ears. He can hear what people are talking about. He can hear what you're thinking. I found this amazing as I look through the book of Mark. Jesus hears. And he looks over to Jairus at the point where he could lack the most faith. And he says, do not be afraid any longer. Can you hear him saying that to you? Only believe. Only believe. Looks hopeless. Don't give in to your terror. 
Just keep believing me. Keep believing you. She's dead. That's what a master does. That's what a rabbi does. That's what a teacher does. He can't do anything for that. But I'm not a master. And the reason I've delayed in your life is because I delayed to reveal myself to you in a way that most people will never see. I'm God, and I'm going to work in your situation. I am the resurrection of life. You just keep believing that. Jesus, why did you take the time to to interrogate that lady. You lost about a minute or two right there. Then this long journey, Jesus, I just don't get it. I purposely planned this delay for you. I purposely planned it. You keep believing. Don't you stop. How old's your little girl? She's 12. How long has this woman had this issue of blood? Well, 12 years. So from the time your child was born and living her life, my daughter, my daughter was hurting. And hemorrhaging her blood. And I stopped to take the time to heal her. And I delayed in your life should I be just as concerned about my daughter as you, your, you are your daughter? And if I delay in your life with my daughter, I can promise you this, it's because I'm going to show greater faith or greater reward of your faith for your daughter being dead at 12. Just keep believing. Just keep believing. I'm going to make myself real to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you in ways that I don't reveal myself to other people. You just keep believing me. See, sometimes we just got to step back and we go, okay, God, just teach me to trust you on this one because this delay is killing me. This delay is killing me. All right, I'm going to have to move because... I'm running myself right out of time, all right? Number two, I'll go through these ones quickly, two and three. You got the assault of delay, now you got the assault of bad news. The assault of bad news. This is verse 37 to 40. First, they, he got the news, Jairus got the news, your daughter's dead. And he says, don't believe that. Don't you believe that? Okay, now if you got the news, somebody's dead, and Jesus said to you, don't you believe that? You, you hang on to this, okay? This will help you, all right? Don't you believe that? Just believe in the power of who I am. So at this juncture, not only do you have your daughter is dead, but now Jesus says, this is dire. i got to get the crowd away from me. So he says, crowd, get out. You're not going with us any further. You don't come along. He tells nine of his disciples, you're not going any further either. He takes his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and then he takes the father and he says, just you four go with me. We're going to the house. We're going alone. And then he meets his second obstacle, these mourners. The Bible says when he got there to the house, he saw a commotion and the people loudly weeping and wailing. Now what they would do in those days to express what they felt in their heart, they were required by law to hire mourners. And the mourners would be paid to come in and cry to express what you're feeling in your heart because you were done with your tears. You couldn't even cry tears anymore. You ever somebody tell you, I can't cry anymore? That's why you hire mourners. That's a weird custom. We don't get that. We hire funeral homes, all right? And then they're very polite. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. I'm so sorry. But, but in their custom, they hire mourners. And so the mourners come, and they're already at the house. That's his second reminder. This girl's dead. First he had the news. Now he hears the mourners. They're weeping and they're wailing. And they're crying out. They're ridiculing, or not ridiculing, but they're, they're, they're screaming. They're tearing their garments. They're weeping and wailing all these things before him. Now the more you got, the wealthier you were. So he's a wealthy man. He's got tons of them crying there to express what he and his wife and the family feel in their heart. And Jesus says, be quiet. Why all this commotion? The child's not dead. Hear it now. She's sleeping. 
She's sleeping. Has that ever occurred to you? If you die in the Lord, you never die. You're asleep from our perspective, from our perspective. She's asleep. And these professional criers now become professional ridiculers. <laughs> they go from crying and tears, and now they're making fun of Jesus. They ridicule him. They mock him. <laughs> She's asleep. She's dead, buddy. She's dead. You know what Jesus says? Get out of the room. Every one of you, get out. You know why? Because Jesus will always get rid of doubters. He will never reveal himself in his true, ultimate glory to doubters. Get out. I didn't want the crowd. I didn't want my nine disciples. I didn't want you mourners that are professional mourners. Get out. Every one of you. Get out of the room. It's a good, it's a good principle to learn when you're going through tough things and you're doubting yourself. You need to get yourself surrounded by intimates of faith. People that believe God and believe in God. You need to surround yourself with those kind of people. You need to get the doubters out of your life. You need to get the doubters out of your life. Only surround yourself with those kind of people. This was his inner circle, if you will. He said the only people going into the room are mom, dad, the baby, or the, the dead girl, and Peter, James, and John. That's it. That's all that's going in the room. All right, everybody else out. Because the only people I want going in there are the people that completely trust that I can handle everything. I don't want any doubters. I don't, I don't want the doubters. I don't want the ridiculers. Get out of the room. Get off the phone with them. Stop talking to them at church if they're here. Uh, don't talk to them at the store. They're hurting you. They're hurting you. They're doubters. They're ridiculers. They're not helping you. You're drained and you need the right kind of people around you. You need the right kind of people. Share and open your heart only with intimates of faith in Christ. With complete trust in the ability of what Jesus can do. Take them into your secret room of the Most High God and gather yourselves under the shadow of the Almighty. Gather yourself under the shadow of the Almighty in that room. Pray with them. Sit with them. Lift up Jesus. Sing with them the praises of Jesus. Just get with them, the intimates, because the assault of bad news will take you down. Let me go on. I'll have to finish this. Go ahead. The assault of, de uh, the assault of hopeless causes. The assault of hopeless causes. So mom, dad, the three disciples, and Jesus. That would be five witnesses before Jesus. Five witnesses is the word which speaks for completeness. So the five witnesses to the event. He goes into the room with them, and he took the girl by the hand. Now what's so unusual about that is he is touching an unclean corpse. That makes him unclean by law. Before it was the unclean woman touching him, but now he willfully chooses to touch a dead corpse. The holy touching the unclean, but somehow the holy never becomes unclean. He stays holy. He takes her by the hand and he speaks. Christ always gives his power through his voice, through his word. You will never have God speak to you with his power without his word, because that's his voice. This is his voice that speaks. That's how he speaks his power. When he created the world, he said, let there be light, and there was light. He just spoke it into existence. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead, bound hand and foot, came forth. He spoke it. He speaks by his word. And so he, he takes the girl by the hand. He speaks by his, the word. And he holds her hand and he says to her, little girl, arise. Immediately, immediately, she arose, got up, and started walking around the room. 
which is absolutely amazing. After you've come back from the dead, you'd think, you know, hey, man, I've been, I've been sleeping like a dead person today, you know. But no, she immediately gets up, starts walking around the room. And the Bible says they are astonished with a great astonishment. They cannot believe this girl has come back from the dead. 12, year, uh, 12 years of hemorrhaging, a 12-year-old girl, which is the greater miracle. The one who had to have his delayed faith to prove it. And if God's delaying in your life, I promise you this, there's a greater thing going to be revealed in your life. So she's instantly healed. And Jesus says two things that are very strange, and I'll close out with this. He says at the end of the passage, he gave them strict orders that they should tell no one about this, and he said something should be given her to eat. Now, I would have left that verse off, but that's the point of the passage. So you can't leave it off. It's just that you don't see it when you read that. You're reading, well, okay. First of all, he gave her something. He said, now listen, she came back from the supernatural back to the natural. And now that she's back in her natural body and she's alive and well, that girl needs something to eat. Give her something to eat because I care about people. Second thing is, I forbid you to tell anyone this happened. Now, I don't know why Jesus tells everybody this in the Bible, but everybody he tells it to, they don't listen to him and they go out and they tell everybody. It's a crazy thing. It's always all throughout the Bible. Jesus says, don't tell anybody, and they can't help it. They've got to tell somebody. He says, don't go broadcasting this. Because I don't want people to see me as a faith healer. I didn't come to be a faith healer. I don't want them to just see me raising people from the dead. I have a bigger mission, a bigger mission. That's why I don't want you to tell them because my bigger mission is that the way this is all going to unfold is not by raising individual people from the dead, but I'm going to have to have a mission of suffering. And my whole life is going to be one of suffering and I'm going to a cross and I'm going to shed my blood on that cross. And when I shed my blood on that cross, that's going to be able to pay the price for everyone who will put their faith and trust in me. So my real mission is to suffer and to go to a cross. That's my real mission. And I don't want people to miss that. So why don't you think suffering is going to be part of your life if it's the main mission of Jesus? Why do you sit here and think that you just want the suffering to leave? Why do you not think that would be part of your calling? Did you just need a faith healer to bring that person back for a few years to die again? What good would that do in the end? Well, it would give me good years in my life to enjoy that. What if you needed something greater? And maybe the delay you got going on right now has a greater purpose in your suffering right now that you cannot see that was the very mission of Jesus to go to a cross and suffer. There's something greater going on here, and I don't understand it all, but I know this, that everything converges with the touch of Jesus. And Jesus says, that's really what I need to do. I need to suffer for you and die on a cross for you so that your sin could be paid for. So the unholy can touch the clean. The unholy can touch the holy. It's the only way you'll do it. It's the only way you'll do it. Let's pray. If you're here today and you have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is how you have to come with the whole truth. You have to say, Jesus, I'm totally unclean. <laughs> My righteousness is filthy rags. I admit it. I'm a manipulator. I got bad motives. I lie. I cheated. I've lusted. Not many people know that about me. But I need a Savior. I want you to hear the whole truth. I'm guilty. You'll say that right now, Jesus, my sin deserves judgment. I'm guilty. 
There's nothing I can do to save myself. Jesus, you shed your blood for me. You paid the price for my sin that my unrighteousness could be put under your blood and you would put your righteousness on me. I want that. I want that. That's the whole truth, Jesus. Save me. Be my Lord and Savior. You pray that prayer. It's a simple prayer, but it's a prayer full of faith to believe that and nothing else. If you're here and you're a child of God, you say, I'm saved, Pastor Rob. I know I'm saved. Have you ever felt like Jesus' back was turned against you? Why are you waiting for him to turn around? Why don't you get out from the crowd and go after him? He may not turn around. He wants you to go after him. What do you got right now? What do you got right now that needs to be touched? Do you need a touch from God? Do you need a touch from God? I'm telling you, Jesus is still touching people today. There may be something right now in your life. I hate to even make it specific because I don't know where the Spirit's speaking to you, but you need a touch from God, whatever it is. I'm going to invite you to come and just say, Jesus, I need your touch. I know I'm troubling you one more time, but you love to be troubled by me. Here I come. I'm going after you. I want your touch. There's a need in your life right now. I just kept it very general because I don't know what God's doing, but do you need a touch from God? Jesus is still touching people today. And I invite you to this altar to say, God, I need a fresh touch. I need a fresh touch. I need your power to work in my life. Father, I come before you for these people. This is a precious truth, a precious truth. It's helped me in my life, and I pray you'd help each one in this room. God, I pray for your work to be done, and I lay it at your feet now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. There's a need in your life. You need a touch from God. I'm opening the altar today for that. If you bring that this morning. Feel like God's back's turned to you? You go after him. Right in this crowd, you go after him. Let's sing together as we worship.